0: Hi, and welcome to our Linklaters Antitrust and Foreign Investment podcast, Outlook for 2022. I'm Christian Alborn, head of our Antitrust and Foreign Investment team. This podcast will look at the key things dealmakers and their advisors need to know about antitrust and foreign investment developments to get their deal through in 2022. We will be hearing from our partners and counsel across the globe on merger control, digital reforms, enforcement, vertical issues sustainability and foreign investment to kick off we're starting with merger control antonia and bernd are going to take us through some of the key changes expected in 2022
1: hi i'm antonia Sherman, a partner in our washington office and i'm joined by bernd myring a partner in the brussels team at linklaters this section of the podcast will focus on merger control for the year to come We'll be looking specifically at regulatory shakeups expected in 2022 in response to tech acquisitions and the expansion of the use of so called call in rights by antitrust authorities globally to catch transactions which might otherwise slip under the radar. To set the scene, it's worth noting that the vast majority of acquisitions by Google, Apple, Facebook, and Amazon, typically of startups, over the past few years, have fallen below traditional turnover-based merger control thresholds and escaped pre-closing review. So, authorities are really eager to learn their lesson. As the FTC's recent report sets out, they are looking to close off loopholes, unjustifiably enabling deals flying under the radar, end quote. In 2022, we're expecting major changes to merger regimes globally to catch these deals in particular, so called killer acquisitions that reduce competition and entrench market power. Now. Some of the intended reforms relate to merger control thresholds there. Perhaps you could take us through a few of
2: these. Thanks Antonia over in the UK the proposed changes to capture more key digital mergers. They include a transaction value threshold and a UK nexus test for certain firms with what's called strategic market status, and they're coupled with mandatory review for a subset of the largest transactions. We've also seen the use of transaction value thresholds. They capture deals of a certain value, even where the targets a startup or similar and has no or very little turnover. This type of thresholds takes effect in South Korea at the end of this year and they've also been introduced in a number of countries and are mooted in India to tackle digital mergers. And the Australian ACCC is also considering a more tailored merger test for acquisitions by large digital platforms, in addition to a broader shift to a mandatory notification regime. Both are expected to be clarified in the second half of 2022. The EU and several member states, of course, have already implemented broader jurisdictional tests, including transaction value thresholds and uh, call-in rights to which we will come in a minute.
1: Thanks, Bernd. And 2022 may also see an erosion of the substantive tests for big tech mergers. In the US, we've seen a range of US antitrust proposals, including creating a list of presumptively harmful mergers. Uh, for example, acquisitions of nation uh, competitors by dominant firms, restricting mergers by dominant online platforms and those which may lessen competition by, quote, more than a de minimis amount, end quote. The UK government has also proposed tinkering with the substantive test for mergers involving SMS firms while in Australia, a mere Quote, possibility that is not remote, end quote, of an SLC could be enough to justify a prohibition. Reporting requirements for tech giant acquisitions are also likely to ensure authorities are kept in the loop. These are a feature of the UK proposals and the EU's DMA covering digital gatekeepers. And even in jurisdictions where there are no formal legislative proposals for change, tech mergers are expected to face tougher reviews, not least of all in China, where draft changes to its competition law suggest stronger scrutiny of tech mergers. Businesses planning acquisitions in 2022 should keep a close eye on this shifting landscape.
2: Thanks, Antonia. If we now turn to call-in rights, this is a really interesting element that we've seen develop, and we are expecting to see much more of that in 2022. In fact, it means that acquisitions that can be perceived as harming competition are increasingly called in for merger review, even if they don't meet any compulsory notification thresholds. And that, of course, has a key impact on deal certainty. Regulators are reacting to debate on alleged under enforcement, in particular, those known as killer acquisitions. And you May have seen that the EU in its Digital Market Act proposes far-reaching monitoring and reporting requirements to enable the Commission to call in deals that might turn out to be critical. The EU has started using its existing powers under what's called Art- Article 22 of the eu more widely this year, and it has claimed the rights to review mergers that would not ordinarily have been notifiable in the EU. This regime has a particular focus on pharma and digital mergers, but also applies in other industries. Commission's already called in two transactions since the change of its policy, including Illumina Grey. Where appropriate, parties can approach the commission proactively. And so, bid briefing paper, and they might may then get a non-binding comfort letter to enhance legal certainty for their deals. Still, the change of policy has created a great deal of uncertainty and timing issues for many merging parties who can no longer take comfort in their deal falling below merger control thresholds. And the change in policy has teeth. The Commission adopted interim measures in Illumina Grail for the first time during a merger review, while the deal is still subject to an in-depth investigation and to an investigation for gun jumping. And this trend isn't constrained to the EU. In China, SAMR is expected to use its wide, but so far sparsely used discretion to call in transactions more proactively. Summer will have more enforcement capacity soon, doubling or tripling its stuff.
1: Thanks, Baron. This is a trend we've seen in the US as well. For example, this summer, the FTC started to send warning letters to merging parties, alerting them that the FTC retains the right to call in a deal after closing um, and after HSR clearance. This isn't a change in the law. The US authorities have always had jurisdiction under the Clayton Act to review any transaction of any size at any time, whether the transaction has closed or not, whether or not the transaction has already gone through um, HSR review. And even if the transaction doesn't involve the acquisition of voting securities or assets, but this new policy is indicative of the tenor of the FTC's language around enforcement. The FTC and DOJ are able to amend the implementing rules of the HSR Act to pull in more transactions for pre-closing review that were previously exempt and have issued several proposed rules to that end. It's worth noting that third-party complaints, in particular from customers, can trigger a regulator to exercise its call-in rights. So, in the current climate, it's worth trying to avoid this wherever possible by making sure your your customers understand that your deal is pro-competitive. I think that's all the time we have for merger control. Do get in touch with us if you have questions around any of the issues raised today.
3: Thanks, Brent and That was great. I'm Tom McGrath. I'm a partner in the New York office and head of the Global US Practice. I'm joined today by Christian Alborn, the head of our practice in London, and Fei Zhao, Uh, head of our practice in Beijing. Thanks for joining today in this section. We're going to be looking at antitrust regulation of digital platforms. And and frankly, there's a lot going on these days and we're expecting quite a lot in the year ahead. Every agency around the globe, every major agency certainly has identified. Digital platform enforcement as a priority. There's a G7 report uh, in which they all recognize the, the presence of big tech dominance. Um, and so we're expecting quite a lot coming up in the year ahead. Um, Christian, self-preferencing, particularly on advertising is a, a big topic in this area. Can you give us an update on, on what you're seeing uh, in the UK?
0: Thanks, Tom. Self-preferencing has now been clearly established as a form of abusive leveraging. It generally involves the dominant platform giving its downstream products some kind of a ju- advantage. For example, The European commission alleges that Amazon uses the data it collects from third party sellers to enhance its own competing retail business in this context in the EU. We have had the Google shopping judgment. Google lost its legal challenge to the European commissions finding that the company abused its search engine dominance to bolster its shopping services to the detriment of rival price comparison sites. The judgment is seen as a vindication of many of the issues which have been raised by competition authorities in recent years. At the same time, it is also seen by some as an example that antitrust remedies have no impact in the market. Either way, we're expecting this type of antitrust investigation to continue into 2022. Indeed, it is true to say that most authorities including south korea japan india to name but a few have brought antitrust cases in recent years against the large digital players uh, such as google amazon facebook and apple Fei, i think we're expecting to see something similar from china in the coming year
4: yeah sixth Christian. indeed china expecting more significant digital antitrust investigations having stepped up already its scrutiny of a major tech companies this year. summer has highlighted platforms as its priority sector for antitrust enforcement and is requiring tech platforms to actively audit their compliance with guidelines on the platform economy sector. But in addition to these investigations, authorities are also looking to craft and finalize regulation which will give them the tools to better tackle tech giants. And while authorities have emphasized the importance of collaboration and regulation of big tech, it is clear that regulation each chooses to tackle big tech will differ. Christian, I think a good example here is the Digital Markets Act in the EU.
0: Yes, we're expecting the heavily negotiated Digital Markets Act to come into force in 2022. The EU is taking an aggressive and one size fits all approach to supplement perceived gaps in the types of conduct that traditional antitrust rules can tackle. Once enacted, the DMA is expected to radically change how digital platforms are allowed to operate in the EU, imposing strict obligations on all gatekeepers and providing the commission with the ability to levy fines of up to 20% of global turnover for infringement, as well as the ability to break up businesses which systematically infringe the rules. Tom, how does this compare to the US proposals?
3: Well, there's a lot going on in the US and the heads of the FTC uh, and DOJ are expecting to announce very ambitious agendas and digital markets and really trying to get at the root causes um, that promotes market power. Um, I think what we have is 2 new heads Khan at the FTC has been in place for about 6 months and Jonathan Cantor is just taking the head of the antitrust division uh, right now um, over at the FTC. There have been a number of policies um, enacted and, and announced in order to generally make uh, enforcement. Uh, easier for the agencies against um, mergers and digital platforms and on the legislative side. Um, there's a number of initiatives, including the Senate, uh, proposal that would, uh, uh attack, preferencing and digital platforms and, and make it more difficult for, uh, companies like Amazon and Google to favor their own products and services. Um, it's all about, um, access, access to data. Um, and both, um, Khan and Jonathan Cantor, um, have acknowledge that they think there's been a lack of enforcement or under enforcement over the last period, and they're really looking to uh, to correct that um, in their um, leadership of the agencies. At the FTC2, we'll really start to see what's going to happen. It's finally going to get its fifth um, uh, commissioner, a Democrat, which will help Lena Khan drive the agenda. How does that compare with the UK, Christian?
0: I think the aim of the UK, uh, the US proposals to tackle underlying issues with tech giants echoes the two pronged approach of the UK digital proposals from earlier this summer. The 1st prong uh, would bring in a code of conduct for firms with strategic market status. Another word for for gatekeepers, and this should be seen as a more tailored version of the EU oblig- obligations under the DMA. And the second prong confers pro competitive intervention powers on the digital markets units in 2022 to address the root causes of the market power of uh, digital platforms, for example, by foreseeing cross platform interoperability. The DMU would have the ability to suspend, block, and reverse behavior that breaches the new mandatory code of conduct.
4: Yeah, and antitrust platform regulation is something we're seeing more of across the Asia-Pacific region, too. The Australia HPC has suggested that broad regulation tackling antitrust issues among digital platforms is on the cards in 2022. This follows legislation in Japan and similar proposals in Korea.
3: Thanks, Faye. Now, we've talked about enforcement within the tech sphere. Looking outside of that, Dani, can you walk us through how enforcement is likely to change in the coming year in other sectors?
5: Hi, I'm Daniela Seliger, a partner in our Düsseldorf office. I'm joined by Doug Tween, Pia Zelenko and Celiao, partners in our New York, Paris and Shanghai Shaoxing offices, respectively. This section of the podcast will focus on the key antitrust enforcement trends for the year to come. Authorities around the world are keen to resume their enforcement activities. So, we will now discuss what we can expect to see in this next year. We'll also take a closer look at two areas where changes in 2022 will be particularly important. The first one being the implications for online sales when you're looking at the reforms of vertical rules, and the second one being guidance on sustainability initiatives. I'll pass over to Pierre now, who will talk about the renewed push for enforcement at EU level.
6: Thanks, Danny. Yes, as you say, enforcement activity in the EU is ramping up again, now that the lockdown-induced slowdown has come to an end. Although we will have to see what happens next with the Omicron variant, and possible new restrictions. There has already been a wave of down raids carried out since October, probably kept in store during the lockdown period. Margaret Vestager, the European Commission competition Chief, has described these as just the start of things to come. National authorities in Europe have also been doing down raids. for example, France, a jurisdiction that I know particularly well. In fact, this renewed push to use antitrust to make sure that markets work better for consumers is a trend that we're seeing across the globe as the world builds back better, so to speak, from the pandemic.
7: So Pierre, I definitely agree with you there. Although in the US, I have to say that enforcement activity is probably a step above just the resumption of normal service, the Biden administration has kickstarted a policy reset to promote competition in the American economy based on, quote, aggressive enforcement of antitrust laws, close quote. And that's coming from the president. He described it as a change in approach after more than 40 years of following again, quote, the wrong path and under enforcing antitrust laws. So, the DOJ and the FTC in the US have been pretty active this year in bringing merger enforcement, having taken a number of high profile deals to court to block them, such as Aeon Willis Towers Watson. Penguin Random House, Simon and Schuster, and just recently the US sugar acquisition of Imperial sugar. And we certainly don't expect that to change in 2022. I think next year will really be the litmus test for antitrust enforcement in the U.S. and whether and how the Biden administration and Lena Khan's new leadership at the, US, at the FTC and Jonathan Cantor's new leadership at the DOJ antitrust division will really be able to put this policy shift into practice with concrete enforcement steps. One other key trend we're seeing in the U.S. is the U.S. really taking a lead in focusing resources on targeting anti-competitive agreements in labor markets. The DOJ has filed a handful of criminal no-poach and wage-fixing cases in the U.S., and there are certainly more being investigated and in the pipeline. However, none of these cases has gone to trial yet, and so the basis for them in a legal sense is really going to be tested over the next year or so. So that is definitely an area to watch.
6: That's a great point, Doug. This focus on labor market will definitely continue next year. It has already spread to the EU, which has signaled a countdown on no-poach agreements and wage fixing.
0: In China, there has also been a wider regulatory crackdown. In fact, Anti-trust fines saw to a record annual high of over three billion in 2021. This campaign against anti-competitive conduct has been especially focused on tech and the platform economy. This reflects the increasing crackdown on tech companies that Fay and others were talking about before. The two high-profile fines this year were 2.8 billion US dollars for Alibaba and 527 million US dollars for food delivery giant Meituan. Both companies were fined for abusing their dominant positions, but both cases were really unprecedented in China.
6: Thanks, Xi. As you highlight, antitrust enforcement is really key in digital markets, and a related issue for many businesses will be changing regulation for online sales. This is particularly important in the EU because the EU's vertical block exemption regulation the so-called VIBER and its guidelines, are expected to come to force in June next year. The so-called new VIBER will then apply for the following 12 years. Businesses will have a transitional period of one year until the 31st of May, 2023, to ensure that distribution systems comply with the new regime. This is not a lot of time at all. So what do these changes involve? Based on the draft regulations, I want to flag two key elements. Firstly, the rules on price parity clauses and dual pricing for online and offline sales will be relaxed. That said, restrictions on use of the internet will be treated more severely and fall outside the safe harbor. Secondly, brands that sell both directly and via retailers Will continue to benefit from a dual distribution exemption. However, they will be subject to a new market threshold. But one important change to note is that exemption will no longer apply to so-called hybrid platforms, such as Amazon, which compete with their users. There are also significant changes potentially coming in the UK post-Brexit. The UK will replace the Viber with a new UK Vertical Block Exemption order in June next year. The plan is for this to retain EU content with important amendments. In practice, the UK exemption is likely to be less strict than the EU version and take a more effect-based approach. But importantly, this does mean that businesses operating in both the UK and the EU may be subject to two potentially diverging regimes.
7: And Pierre, outside the EU, we also expect aggressive enforcement activity from numerous authorities, including South Africa, India, Australia, and the US. For example, in the US, Attorney General for the District of Columbia is pursuing a challenge to Amazon's pricing policies and other investigations in this sector are reportedly ongoing.
5: And then turning to another key area, which has been sustainability. That has been a hot topic on competition policy agendas across the whole of Europe throughout 2021. And there, the key question is whether competition law hinders sustainability goals and whether in fact, a number of changes are needed. Now, we believe that greater clarity will hopefully come early next year, so, first of all, one of the key developments will be the publication of the EC's much awaited draft revised horizontal guidelines. We believe that the updated rules there will be providing more guidance on technical cooperation and also sustainability, including on buyer cartels, and also what is very important joint purchasing alliances. The EC is also reviewing how its competition policy tools can facilitate the green transition overall. There, it has signaled that it will be more open to giving guidance on a case-by-case basis going forward, in particular in relation to the sustainability-related cases. And also a similar moment of green truth is imminent in the United Kingdom. There, the government has required the CMA to advise it on how competition and consumer law can support net zero goals. Following a public consultation, the CMA is expected to report in early 2022, and we believe will propose significant changes to
7: the laws. Well, you know, Danny, beyond Europe, there's not a lot of warming to seeing sustainability as a competition law issue. I mean, well, you know, the the new U.S. antitrust agency leadership under the Biden administration has signaled a new holistic and interdisciplinary approach to antitrust enforcement, certainly with a focus on social welfare considerations. They have not clearly detailed how other sustainability considerations fit into a competition law framework. And frankly, sustainability has received very little attention elsewhere, um, such as in China, while Brazil's authority has expressly ruled out incorporating sustainability issues into its competition law analysis.
6: Thanks, Doug. I think now it would be good to turn to something a little bit different, but which will be hugely important over the next year. The continued expansion of foreign investment regimes, and in particular, the new UK regime, which will be coming into force in January, I leave the floor to my colleagues, which will take you through this fast-moving area of law.
8: Thanks, Pierre. I'm Nicole Carr, partner and head of Linkletters UK and Ireland, antitrust and foreign investment practice. And I'm joined by our senior Counsel and head of US foreign investment practice, John Gaffney. John, 2021 has been a record year for foreign investment regulatory developments, but what's on the horizon for 2022?
9: Nicole, I think it's fair to say that we expect the current proliferation of foreign investment regimes to continue at pace over the course of 2022. We've seen a torrent of reforms globally aimed at protecting national economies during the pandemic, and it's been just over a year since the EU regulation came into force. The number of European member states with foreign investment regimes now stands at 18, and Belgium, Ireland, Luxembourg, the Netherlands, and Sweden, among others, have draft legislation expected to come into force during the next 12 months. We expect most, if not all, of the remaining EU members to follow suit in one way or another. In addition, we've seen existing regimes being strengthened to broaden the scope of transactions requiring review. This is especially true in France, Germany, Spain, and Italy. And Italy is rumored to be considering an extension to June 2022 of the tougher regime it introduced in response to the pandemic. New regimes increasingly feature expansive call-in rights, including retroactive reviews of previously closed transactions.
8: John, you mentioned the new EU screening mechanism just now. Can you just describe what impact that's had?
9: Um, Sure. The the new EU regime has already significantly increased the number of interactions and the level of scrutiny over transactions in member states. And we're expecting this trend to intensify with knock-on effects on deal timing and deal certainty risk. And once regulators have had greater experience implementing the new regime, we anticipate improved coordination that should uh, reduce unnecessary delays and the associated costs and burdens for the parties. But even so, the sheer number of potential regulators that may need to deal with each case will ensure that even in the smoothest case, the level of complexity is going to remain high. Outside the EU, of course, the new EU, I'm sorry, the new UK regime starts applying from January. And Nicole, you've been following the progress of this legislation closely and advising companies on what they need to do ahead of the act's commencement on the 4th of January. Can you give our listeners a feel for what the new regime will cover?
8: Yeah, sure, John. Um, Yes, the new UK regime's captured a lot of attention globally, given the eye-catching number of reviews expected. Uh, The UK government's projecting up to 1,830 reviews a year, which is a factor of almost six on the record high German reviews we've seen this year. Um, Also, given its expansive territorial scope, retroactivity and lack of any de minimis safe harbors in terms of turnover, asset values, or even the presence of a a UK subsidiary. Um, And as you said, we'll have online filings from 4th of January and a new investment security unit in the Department of Bay's Business, Energy and Industrial Strategy to administer the legislation using what they call a hub and spoke model. So being the first port of call which is really a big plus in terms of the present regime having someone to actually make a filing to is, is a big improvement um, also having to find timescales to work to is another big plus on the current regime and they'll operate a largely private process Um, It not being clear when parties have filed or the fact that they are undergoing a foreign investment review. Again, quite different to the current legislation where the government issues a public interest intervention notice. And that is really a cue for lots of market participants to pile in and indicate all of the myriad of concerns that they have about a transaction. Um, The top tip for companies really for the UK regime is to be familiar with the filing triggers for mandatory and suspensory filings. And these are namely acquiring the right to pass or block a special resolution, or acquiring 25% or more, 50% or more, or more than 75% of the voting rights or economic interests of an entity that has activities in one or more of the 17 sensitive sectors. If you miss a a mandatory suspensory filing, you're looking at significant fines of up to 10 million pounds or 5% of global turnover, whichever is is higher, and possible imprisonment um, for executives. And the 17 sectors are wide in some respects and highly technical. So it's hard to self-assess and acquirers will really need to work closely with the target's advisors to determine if filing is needed. And if you're in a hostile situation, you might have to make a precautionary filing if you can't diligence the full scale of the target's activities. So that's a new UK act um, in a whistle-stop tour. But John, what can we expect in the United States and what key messages can we give our listeners?
9: So in the United States, uh, we're expecting to see President Biden appoint new leadership for Cipius, which should lead to clarification of a number of issues, including guidance on Cipius enforcement, requirements for burdensome pre-closing filings for internal reorganizations, and formal decisions on whether countries, including Australia, Canada, and the UK, along with other applicants, will qualify for special treatment. Um, we're also even uh, likely to see even more activity by Cipius's Office of Monitoring and Enforcement with respect to previously closed non-notified transactions. And Nicole, uh, you mentioned key messages. And I'd say that it's more important than ever for the parties to prepare thoroughly for foreign investment reviews, including by having a detailed understanding of the target's activities. Deal conditionality should also be considered very carefully. A backstop foreign investment condition may be warranted to guard against unexpected filing requirements. And most of all, the party should start the process as early as possible even then they should watch out for the impact of politics on deals, particularly in hotly contested regional disputes. For more advice, our listeners should be sure to check out linklaters.com slash foreign investment for a variety of resources, including regulatory summaries, blog posts, and of course, contact information for Linklater's foreign investment attorneys around the globe.
0: So this brings our podcast to an end. Thank you to all of our speakers and thank you for listening in. Uh, I refer you to our Linklater's Antitrust and Foreign Investment Group website for further information. Um, And uh, please get in touch with your usual Linklater's contact if you have any questions.